Hi, this is Carla Allen, host of School Counseling Opportunities and Professional Engagement, also known as SCOPE. I am a professional school counselor, currently a coordinator of counseling services for my school division, and adjunct professor for counselor education at a local university, Virginia Commonwealth. Go Rams! We will be discussing topics relevant to current trends in school counseling and ideas on how to provide support to one another. For questions, comments, or discussion topics, email me at vscaprofdevelopment at gmail.com. Again, that's vscaprofdevelopment at gmail.com. Welcome to Scope. School counselor, opportunity, and professional engagement scope. From the third floor. I'm happy to bring Liz Beatley to you today. Liz is a school counselor at an alternative school for 6th to 12th grade students. She works with behaviorally challenged young people. She has implemented some creative strategies that have exhibited some incredible outcome results. Hi, Liz Beatley. Welcome to the third floor. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. I am so happy to have you here today, and I already gave a little preface to your job But um, first of all, I want to talk to you about your journey on becoming a school counselor, which is how we start all of our podcasts, because I think everyone's stories are so interesting. So tell us a little bit about uh, what inspired you to become a school counselor. Well, what seems like many, many years ago now, um, I was in college and I did an internship at a crisis shelter for teenagers. And I loved it. Absolutely loved working with um, that population and the, the teenage age range. So um, after I graduated from college, I stayed there. And I loved working there and um, was pretty successful, got promoted. But I ended up working 60-hour weeks for very little money. Wow. <laughs> so <laughs> I realized... to be the case for a lot of these jobs. <laughs> I needed to do something else. So I decided I wanted to go back and get my master's degree. And I knew I wanted it to be in the field of counseling. Um, And the school counseling track is what I chose to pursue. So while I was um, in getting my master's degree for school counseling, I really got interested in um, building resiliency and being proactive and felt like the best place to do that was in the early years, in the elementary years, and help children skill build early so they had the necessary skills they needed as they grew up and faced more challenges. So I ended up going into elementary school counseling um, and was an elementary school counselor for 16 years. And you did a lot of things while you were um, in that program for 16 years. So tell us a little bit about some of the things you initiated and implemented as an elementary school counselor. Um, Well, I was very fortunate. I had a very supportive administration. um, And we were a pretty large school, especially another school was built to give us some relief. But we we were at about 750 students Mm -hmm. my second year. We were pretty large. Um, And so we were able to do, you know, it was difficult to do some things because of our size. And because of our size, we were able to do some things. We had a... um, Rather than an SCA where certain students were elected to positions, Mm -hmm. we had um, an opportunity for any interested fifth grader to serve our school in some way, in some capacity. And we typically had, um, if I remember the statistics correctly, I think we had 85% of most fifth grade classes Mm -hmm. that participated. So um, they might be in charge of recycling. They might be in charge of raising and lowering the flags each day or saying morning announcements. 
so that was one of my favorite things is mm-hmm. to watch the students be so actively engaged. Um, we also did a village program mm-hmm. where older classes paired with younger classes to work on community service projects. Um, and we were able to get some grant funds um, to fund field trips so that they could actually go visit the organizations they served and recognize their Wow, impact. that's really building some skills for kids to see the big picture instead of being in their little bubble of what they're used to. And you also did um, some interactive notebook with executive functioning. So that became a pretty big project as well. So tell us a little bit about that one. Yes. So um, the feedback I got from every stakeholder involved in children um, was that children struggled with organizational skills and they struggled with time management skills and a lot of executive functioning skills, impulse control. And um, realized really quickly that the lecturing type of lesson just didn't work. Um, It wasn't very meaningful to elementary age children. So I um, created an interactive notebook and Each lesson was identical in the way it was set up. We always started with sort of a fun introduction to the topic, whether it be organization or um, impulse control. And then um, we had a quick, quick, I made sure they were quick, lesson um, about the importance of the skill. And then they did some sort of goal setting related to the skill in their interactive workbook. Um, And then we tracked that. So it was a a nine-week Um, unit and I went in and we tracked their goal setting for each different skill um, through the interactive workbook they also took notes during my quick lecture if you will Mm -hmm. Um, and it turned out to be really the kids responded very well we had a good time with that so um, even after I left they continued with applying for the grant to get the workbooks printed so that the teachers could continue to do it with the students And before we move on from your um, elementary school experiences, I do wanted to point out you were um, BSCA's Elementary School Counselor of the Year. Was that, what year was that? Oh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I think 2012, 15, I'm not sure. Yeah, so, somewhere around there. But I do remember it was after um, I had already started working with you, and I found out that you are one of the top picks for ASCA and were invited to go um, to visit with Michelle Obama at the White House as they recognize the uh, school, counselors of the, school counselors of the year for the Reach Higher initiative. And um, I will just point out that you were so humble that I didn't even know you had gotten that until you put in for a day off to go to the White <laughs> House. And I was like, um, I could have gone with you if you had gone. <laughs> I know, and I would love to have gone to the White House. But I was so excited for you to be able to um, have that honor. And I have a picture of you in my office with standing in the background of Michelle Obama giving her speech. So tell us a little bit about that experience. That's pretty incredible. It, it was. It was surreal, actually. You know, I was actually, we were in the process process of adopting our first child, and I didn't think I was going to get to go because our final court date was on the same day. Mm-hmm. as the, So I had said no, which maybe that's why I didn't share it. Um, well, and you then, would still share that you got invited, I would think, to the White House. <laughs> well, then the court date got changed, which I feel like was divine intervention, mm-hmm. so that I called and I was like, is it too late for me to say yes? Um, and they were like, no, you can still come. So, yeah, it was a surreal experience. Um, it was so nice to just be surrounded by counselors from all different states and to hear all the different things that were going on in different types of areas. I particularly... Um, remember speaking at length with a counselor in Pennsylvania who served a predominantly Mennonite population and some of the things that she had to consider 
um, that I had never even thought of. So it just spoke to the diversity and how important it is to be culturally competent. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it was a wonderful experience. And then, of course... Shaking Michelle Obama's hand. Yes. I was hoping I was hoping to see President Obama, but he was apparently out of the country. Yes. But, okay, let's think about what year you adopted your child, and that was the year you had school counselor of the year. So that's an easy way to tie it. So what year did you adopt? Well, no, because this was the year for the semifinalist for ASCA. Okay. But that wasn't the same year that I was. So it's probably 14 or so, 2014. Yeah, I think it was 2014 or 15. So, again, in Liz humbleness, she doesn't remember what year. She's school counselor of the year. <laughs> that's not a, um, a thing for her that she talks a lot about. I also uh, do want to point out with these programs that she's running, um, she puts – so many great initiatives together, and it's nothing that anyone would know if you weren't in her environment seeing it. So I'm so privileged to be able to see that. So I want to transition now when um, you're ending your 16th year of, of this elementary school and things you had an amazing program up and running, and then all of a sudden something happened. So tell us what happened. Well, the position opened up for a school counselor at, at the alternative school in our district, and um, as I mentioned before, I had worked previously in a crisis shelter. Um, I like the marginalized population of teens. And this was actually a position um, that I had thought of applying for many years before, but it just wasn't the best timing for me. So when this came up and I thought, I, I really want to do this. And I loved my elementary school and I loved my staff and my administration. So it wasn't an easy choice, but, but I was ready for a new challenge and I was ready for something different. So um, I decided to apply, and and love. I'm so thankful I got the position. But <laughs> I think it was two days after I got the position, our second child was placed with us. So I then had an infant for the first time in my life at four months, um, and started a brand new job. So it was a mm -hmm. it was a exciting but difficult year. Yes, but um, you did keep it all together, and I think that first year was um, very busy, and I will probably use the word stressful, but you were able to lay the groundwork for some programs that came into place in the next few years. Let's talk uh, about your population and the students that you serve so our audience can have a little bit of a better idea about um, what we're talking about when we say an alternative school. And I said it earlier, behaviorally challenged, but it can also be for those kids who are unmotivated. Um, it's a very special population of kids. So tell us a, a bit about your caseload and about the kids that you work with. It is. It's actually, it's a very interesting mix of students. Um, we serve students who have um, discipline suspensions that are going to be beyond 10 days, so mm -hmm. a long-term suspension. Rather than just be at home, um, they will be placed in our school in most instances. Um, we all, That probably makes up, typically, it, it varies throughout the time of the year, um, but typically that makes up about 30 to 40 percent of our population. Mm -hmm. Um, we also serve students who s struggle with school attendance, um, typically related to anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. um, in our smaller setting, we tend to have better luck with them attending school regularly. And then we also serve students who um, have some academic struggles and benefit from a smaller class size. Our maximum class size is 12 students. Um, so we have, like I said, a really interesting variety of students mm -hmm. in our school. Wow. And your um, interesting, another um, interesting dynamic to me is your dynamic of male to female. So it's a mainly male population, right? It is, although that, it's funny you brought that up because I've, I've mentioned that previously, but um, most recently we've had a whole lot of, of girls come in. Um, but no, we're typically about 
70% male. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that is an interesting dynamic as well. So another thing that I find um, extremely interesting that has happened more so in the last two years, which I attribute a great deal to your leadership and programs, that students, once they finish their time with you, may opt to stay there. So um, seeing a slight uptick in students who choose to stay in that smaller placement instead of going back to their comprehensive schools, um, because I think for a lot of them, they understand that might not be the best environment for them. So um, I like that the their interest in your programs and the extra assistance they get is really helping them to be successful in graduating. It is. It, it's it's a it's tricky because we have to make sure we leave enough space for students that have to be there for discipline reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also want to accommodate those students who feel more comfortable there and and make space for them. So it's been a little bit of a balancing act. But yes, it's been nice that some students are advocating for themselves and asking to stay. Mm-hmm. So working with this population with behavioral mental health concerned is it's always a challenge. Um, it's a drain. It's uh, a lot of extra work on your part. So tell me what drew you to working with this specific population of students? You know, I think I, I don't really know the whole answer to that. I think it's been some life experiences, um, just some think people that I've been exposed to. But I knew the within the first week that I was um, working at the crisis shelter, there's just something about that population that I like. They tend to be very creative. They tend to be funny. They tend to be very genuine. Um, and I just enjoy working with that population. Mm-hmm. Um, you had mentioned um, all, all of the creativity part. So I think that's one thing that you have really focused in on is working with kids with their creativity. Sometimes when they when you think about them going to an alternative placement, that's one of the things we haven't really been considering. We're putting them there for academics or for behavioral issues. And a lot of times because it's not a comprehensive school, they don't have those elective options that other kids have. So that creative outlet has really been shut down. So I do want to um, talk about some of the initiatives that you have started at your school because you do realize um, working with the whole child, that that's a huge part of who they are. There are so many things that you have put into place. So let's let's talk about a few of them. Um, just, I don't think we have enough time in the day for you to talk about all of them that you have done. But uh, but highlight a few of them for us that have worked well with um, these behaviorally um, challenging kids. Well. Um you're correct in saying that we don't have um, a lot of the creative outlets for them. So we have one face-to-face elective course, um, and that's kind of just pure luck. Our English teacher is also endorsed in theater arts, so he is able to offer a theater arts course to our students. Well, and then we also have a PE class, so I'm sorry, we have two. But other than that, all the rest of our electives are online, and a lot of our students are very artistically um, gifted, and so... I just really, really wanted them to have a way to, a structured way to to demonstrate their artistic abilities. So fortunately, um, the director of art, I can't remember her formal title, but the director of art for our county was willing to work with me. And she came over and we were able to um, get some time in the schedule. Our administration was nice enough to let us set aside some time in the schedule for um, us to work on art projects every other week um, and the director of art gave the students some instruction and guidance through that and in the end we had um, we had a, an art show and that was as exciting as creating the art because they the students took over they made the posters to advertise they set up the food for our guests um, 
and helped display their artwork, and it was just a wonderful learning experience. We also were very fortunate to get a grant um, from the Virginia Counselors Association Foundation that allowed us to take a field trip to the Fine Arts Museum and allowed us to eat in an upscale restaurant mm-hmm. there, which was a new experience for a lot of our students. So it was just a wonderful experience mm-hmm. all around. I was fortunate to be able to go to the art show, and I think what stood out to me the most is they were so excited to um, have you see the art. I was listening to them. I went up and wa- looked at the art and then make a comment or I would ask a question, and they were all behind me at tables, but I could tell that they were listening to what I was asking and which pieces of art I was looking at at the moment. Um, so that helped me to know how proud they were of that. And then I watched as a few of them ran out to greet parents as they came in to show them the art show. Um, I just loved all of that because it gave them confidence in themselves. They could showcase their skills, and their communication skills were enhanced as well as they talked about their art pieces. So I love that you recognized that creative part of them and then um, helped them to create all of that. It was wonderful to have last. We did this last year as well, but it was our first time. It was our trial, so we didn't invite anyone outside of our school. Um, But it was so nice to have the families come this year. It was Mm -hmm. really, really nice. So I want to, let's talk about um, your quarterly team building program that you put into place. So tell us about that. Oh, that's that's been a lot of fun. Um, so we are working on relationship building in our school, and that's student-to-student relationship, but that's also staff-to-student relationship. So we do quarterly team building activities, um, and they vary. They change every nine weeks. Um, and I brainstorm with my staff. They're not all my ideas, um, but and sometimes our staff invites guests in so it's been a very nice collaboration for us um we have most recently had someone come in um who goes to a gym with one of our teachers and she did zumba and sticks i don't know if you're familiar with sticks Mm -hmm. but it's like drumsticks in your hand and then you're doing this beat that she kind of leads you in but you're bending down and standing up and going Mm -hmm. it was so much fun oh my word i would love to do that yeah that was really neat and um We've also been able to incorporate some of our teachers' cultures. Um, One of our teachers did henna tattoos for our students, Mm -hmm. which was a really neat activity. My personal favorite was uh, Crack the Code, which was sort of an escape room concept. So they all had locked boxes and clues that were all... The clues all revolved around their academic courses. Um, And they had clues that they had to use to figure out the code to open their box. And once they opened it, they had an invitation to a pizza party and and board game party in our cafeteria. So that was a lot of fun. So is every student involved in this team building? Mm -hmm. Wow. Because we're small. We're usually somewhere between 50 and 75 students. Mm -hmm. That's still a large group of kids to (laughs) to work this. Um, Love those ideas. Um, Another one that you've implemented is called Jag Time Rotations, a Jag... Um, they're the Jaguars, so that's where that name comes from. Mm-hmm. So tell us about um, Jag Time Rotation. That's another collaborative effort um, that the administration, the teachers, and I have all worked on together, and, and we're tweaking it every year. Um, so we've got some new ideas for next year. But it is 45 minutes in the morning. Um, some of our students um, don't come in the most motivated in the morning. So rather than sending them right into class, it's 45 minutes in the morning to, again, work on relationship building. Mm-hmm. Um, each day has a different focus. 
some of it's academic focus, like a study hall or a stop, drop, read and write, um, and some of it is focused more on our expectations, with our, which are respect, responsibility, and perseverance. So we have circles, which are very similar to class meetings mm-hmm. um, and meant to build cohesiveness. And, and our JAG times are broken into small groups. So there's approximately eight students in each JAG time with one teacher. Mm-hmm. And we try to pair students. It's tricky. We try to pair students that are going to have personalities that get along well and also with teachers because the whole idea is to, to sort of have their special safe place. So, um, yeah, next year we're hoping to even add some new dynamics to that and come up with some new ideas for morning JAG times. And uh, I will allude to the uh, Dr. Ross Green model of collaborative proactive solutions, which um, all of the counselors in our division have read and have started implementing on a small scale. And you uh, really spent some time focusing on that model, working with these kids, with the faculty members. And uh, it was a very um, large endeavor with a lot of um, teachers and students involved, but that's a, a topic for another podcast, but I want to throw that collaborative proactive solution model out there because we are seeing some great successes using that model for our students who are having, who have lagging skills or mm-hmm. uh, inability to stay focused in a small group or go to class or um, come to school in general. So um, loved how you incorporated that um, therapeutic model into those, that, into that jack time as well. Is that still ongoing with yes. the teachers? So one of the days is a student check-in day. Um, and the idea is that the student has a one-to-one check-in with their JAG time teacher. Um, and we've created, I meet with each new student as they come in to create some goals that the student would like to work on while they're at Georgetown. Um, and so weekly, the JAG time teacher checks in with the student to say, hey, how are you doing working towards this goal? If it's not going well, what's impeding your progress? What can we do to help? Um, and then can, I can get a little alert if it's something that I need to help with. And it just helps us kind of stay very current with the child rather than realizing three months later, oh, you were really struggling with your online class and nope, you didn't let anybody know, so we didn't know to help you, and now you're three months behind. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, I think that's my favorite part of the model is that instead of being reactive at the end, we're being proactive at the, at the beginning, and the student has input in that, and it gives them the um, ability to advocate for themselves to say, yeah, you're right, I am not doing well in here. What can I do to step it up? Before we get to the end and like, oh, no, you're not graduating or you can't go back to your comprehensive school because yes. you haven't met the grade requirement. So that's one thing I really love about the model. But, again, we'll talk about that in another podcast um, about the uh, Ross Green model. Um, another initiative you have done, which looked really amazing, are the family nights. Um, and fam- it's you know we talk about community and family engagement, and especially with a, a population like you work with. And in our comprehensive schools, we have difficulty getting parents to come out. So, how have you um, engaged your families with these family nights? Well, um, one thing that we've done is we're very fortunate that we've been able to partner with our our community services board. And so they always bring dinner (laughs) and dinners and they bring good dinner, too. Mm -hmm. So they brought dinner. So we've been able to offer food. But, you know, I really think um, the kids, not all of them, but most of them really enjoy coming in the evening and they like having fun. We try to make it very fun based um, and make sure that the activities aren't going to be, again, lecture based, but interactive activities with a with a positive message so I think because the kids go home and say to their families you know let's go to this let's go to this the families um, have been responding and coming so 
we've every family night we've had, um, we've had increasing numbers of adults attend. So mm-hmm. we're really excited about that. So what are some of the topics that you have covered at family night? Um, one of the first ones was a coping skills. So we had dinner and then we divided and all the adults went with um, a member of the community services board who led them in um, a discussion and some activities related to healthy coping skills. And the students went with a teacher and me and we actually created um, sensory rings. So part of mindfulness is tapping into your your five senses. And um, actually one of the students told me from a different placement where she had been about these. So you get different types of fabric, you know, felt, silk, different fabrics, and you cut up little squares and you put put them on a key ring and you have those as a calming tool that can Mm -hmm. be with you at all times um, just to kind of get you focused on the here and now and in touch with your your sense of touch so that was a really we had a really good time we were all sitting around making those and talking at the same time and the kids all reported really enjoying that Mm -hmm. and then more recently um we had the focus was on setting boundaries no that was a different one this one was on on just doing things as a family and so uh, again the community services board came in with an activity where the families work together to make family trees and identify their support networks but prior to that our students led their families in some different mindfulness activities that the students have been learning at Georgetown so it was really neat to see them be leaders and Mm -hmm. take that role on um, and and at the same time educate their families up again more about some healthy coping skills Mm -hmm. and i can imagine that would help instigate a little bit of conversation with the families as they're building their family tree and um, having conversations and sometimes kids aren't really aware of their family tree or where they came from so yeah some great conversations probably happened it was a wonderful night it was a very good night yes and you had a girls night out that um seemed to be pretty successful tell what happened at that night um You know, we have a program at our school for students who are under 18 but at risk for dropping out um, so that they can work towards their GED. And the GED teacher and I were talking to a student one time and realized that she never had any really girlfriends, any interactions with girlfriends. Everything she thought about was around the boyfriend. So we just started talking about, you know what, we need to build opportunities for the girls to connect. And from there, it just took off. Um... Fortunately, that teacher that I was doing this with, she knows everybody in in our area. So she was able to get all kinds of businesses to donate Mm -hmm. um, raffle coupons that we could give out to students and um, got got a restaurant to donate an entire dinner for us that night. And we were able to, um, I was able to tap into some of my connections and we got people in to do makeup um, for the girls, to do an art project with the girls, to do yoga with the girls. Um, and my mom even came and um, the other teacher's mom came and uh, helped serve them dinner. So they got to kind of feel like princesses that night. And um, so we did all different activities with them and then had a nice dinner with some raffle tickets. So they were able to leave with some gifts and it was a fun night. Wow. What a great experience for them. Now now we have to follow up with a boys night, um, which we didn't get to this year as we had hoped. So that's going to be our So have you heard about year. that? Oh, several. It's died down now, but at first it had, yes. <laughs> well, hopefully they won't listen to the podcast. And, 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 <laughs> they'll be like, oh, Miss Feely. <laughs> we haven't had a boys night. Um, you also have done some field trips for some community exposure. So where have you taken the kids? 
Um, well, we have um, selected students from our school go over to a nearby elementary school and do a mentorship program with some fifth graders, which has also been wonderful. Okay, let's think about this. So you work in a school with behaviorally challenging kids, <laughs> and they are mentoring fifth graders. They are, and they've wow. done a wonderful job with it, too. Yes, I love that. I love it. Yeah. Because I feel like sometimes when they're there, they think that they don't matter, their ideas aren't heard, and I can't be a leader because I'm here. So well, we hear all the time. That, that is amazing. Every time they make a bad choice and we say we expect them, we're on an alternative school, and I'm like, I do not want to hear that. That means nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, these kids that have gone over and worked with the fifth graders, it, it was a really nice collaboration, and one of the things that they did is a community service project together where um, both the fifth grade class and our school collected goods um, for a family shelter in the area. Um, when the families come into the shelter, there's some paperwork that the adults have to do, and the shelter was realizing it kind of was an awkward time for the kids. So they set up a room for the kids to go in and have snacks and have things like Play-Doh and games, so they were collecting for that room. Um, So we collected snacks, and our kids worked with the fifth graders to pack bags and decorate the bags with positive, kind messages. And then we were able to all take a field trip together um, to that shelter and deliver those bags and take a tour of the shelter and hear a little bit more about it. So that was a really neat experience. Um, And then uh, one of my other favorite field trips we did this year is we took um, interested 11th and 12th graders to a community college in our area. Mm Um, to take a tour and just actually visit it in person. A lot Mm -hmm. of our students have never visited a college campus, um, and that ended up being wonderful. And um, we have two students who are planning on attending that same college, one of whom is going to be getting a scholarship next week. So I'm excited about that. I love that. So I want to go back to the mentorship for a second with the fifth graders. So have you had um, pushback from the parents at the elementary school, what has been that um, dynamic? Surprisingly, no. Um, I was a little nervous about that, too. But, no, we um, wrote we write letters every time we get do, go saying what activity we did with their students and thanking them for allowing us to come. I don't know if that's helped, but I mm-hmm. think it's at least kept them updated on what. So right. what are these kids doing when exactly. they come over? And then on the field trip, several of the parents of fifth graders um, came as chaperones. So I think they got to see our kids in action and mm-hmm. maybe were made more comfortable by that. But but we really have not had or that I know of, unless that other school has dealt with it. But I don't know. Yeah, I think resistance. you would have heard that. I think so, Heather. too. I love, oh yeah, I'm just all over that. So you alluded uh, briefly to the positive vibe. You have a positive vibe club that yes. you have started. So what does that mean? Well, and that was initiated by the students. Um, it's something they wanted to do. So I said, okay, we can do it then. And one of our students... Um, kind of got started with this because she came to me one day and she wanted to do something for breast cancer awareness and I it was a particularly busy time and I said if you want to do it go for it I don't have time right now to spearhead it but go for it and she did um and she had posters and she got the kids riled up and they all wore pink and we were like they were so empowered so um she's one of the main members of the positive vibe club and we they really wanted to interestingly enough focus on um, on doing nice things for our teachers. So we would have, uh, every time we met, which was monthly, they would write kind messages to specific teachers. Um, one of the students would go interview the teachers and find out their favorite snacks, and we I would buy the snacks and bring them back, but they would package them in cute little 
gift bags and deliver them to the teachers. Mm -hmm. And we also, um, they wanted to spruce up the front of our school a little bit. So we did a gardening project and planted some flowers. So yeah, that's been really fun too. Well, I'm from Georgia, so I'll just say this. This just blesses my heart (laughs) to hear this because um, so many times at a school of this nature and in the past, they've been over there and then they're doing their online electives and they're coming to school and going home. And, and, you know, for a long time, we didn't even have a counselor at that school. And how are we... um, serving our most at-risk students to help them to be successful because yes they may go there and go back to their school but if we haven't worked on any of the lagging skills if we haven't given them behaviors and coping mechanisms to model for them how are they going to go back and be successful so I feel like you have done so much with that for them to um, learn positive behavior to be able to go back into their comprehensive school so uh, I just can't thank you enough for your vision and uh, what you've done with these kids and we just talked about a handful of projects you have so many things that you've done, but I'm hoping as people are listening, they can get some ideas of their own to be able to implement. So when you uh, are trying to do these things, and I think this happens at every school that you work in, is the faculty buy-in. So here we are working in this alternative school, and you're doing all these things that um, are different and new. Um, so how can you? How are you getting faculty buy-in? How's that experience been with them? working with this new model yeah it varies and and it even varies from day to day and week to week you know how people (laughs) feel about different things but I would say that um, a lot of our teachers are really bought into it so one of the things that we've implemented during the JAG times is on Fridays it's choice time Um, and the idea is for the students to have an opportunity to go to an activity of their choice so we asked each teacher to brainstorm something they would be interested in leading. It's been really powerful to watch um, the teachers lead the choice times. We have so it's not assigned. It's like they get to pick a passion. They pick a passion and then, exactly, and then we wow. list them all out, and the kids pick which ones they want to go to. Um, we so have it's a teacher. Not, I love it. It's not assigned because so many times we assign it to the teacher, and then what is their buy-in? But that you're letting them come up with a project, yes. and then the kids pick that. Yes, and the so teachers good. have taken off with it. We have one that leads a chess club, and, I mean, we've had a problem with the kids wanting to play chess when they're supposed to be doing other activities because they want to beat this <laughs> teacher so badly. Um, we have one of my favorites was a teacher who did life skills, and he actually took the kids out to the car and showed them how to change oil. Um, Ooh, I could probably use that. Yeah, and he taught them how to tie a tie um, and some other th- gardening. They did some gardening mm-hmm. activities. Um, I get the opportunity to lead mindfulness time. So they students who are interested come in, and we do different mindfulness activities. So that's been very neat. That, like I said, that's been 100% teacher buy-in. Um, and I think as the teachers get to use their creativity and build relationships with students, most of the time, most of them enjoy it and see the positive benefit of it. Mm-hmm. So you have uh, been working on restorative practices. I know the mindset is... Um, the kids are in this alternative school and you're working with them and then maybe a teacher gets fixated on they have their hat on and they focus on the kid has on a hat so um i know that's frustrating because there's so many big picture things we need to be working on rather than the fact that the kid has a hat on so when we're talking about restorative practices how have you been working with the teachers with with those kinds of issues so we're still we're still developing and we're still learning. But the goal with restorative practices is one for the student to recognize the damage they've done with whatever poor choice they've made, and two for them to repair it in some way. Um, and so, rather than it being punitive, it's about some form of reparations. Um, and part of 
obviously to recognize that you've damaged something, you need some empathy and you might have damaged a relationship with someone. So part of it goes back to our relationship building. We have weekly circles every Tuesday during JAG time. The students do circles um, where they each are invited to share and engage. And that sets the stage for if there's a problem within a classroom, then we can kind of get in that circle format. The kids are used to it and process it and try to discuss how who's who are their behaviors impacting negatively? What can they do differently? And we've had some success with that. We've also had some success with one-on-one restorative meetings. Um, there's a set of five restorative questions um, that we ask, again, relating to what, do you, what has happened, who has it impacted, what can we do to make it better? Um, and so when teachers and students seem to be at a standoff for mm-hmm. whatever reason, We've had some really powerful one-to-one restorative meetings um, with teachers that I've, I've been fortunate enough to facilitate and watch occur. Um, and it takes a lot for a teacher who's felt disrespected repeatedly mm-hmm. to listen to a kid's perspective and try to oblige them in some way. And it takes a lot for students who don't understand why they have to do this or why they have to do that to to consider the teacher's perspective. Mm-hmm. So we're hoping that they're gaining some real skills through right. that. And they can um, see each other's point of view and perspective instead of just their own. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important for the teacher because they don't necessarily know where the child is coming from. And then for the child because then they see um, why the teacher uh, has to do what the teacher has to do. So um, that's a great practice to have at any level in any program. So with this um, all being said, what has been the greatest challenge you have faced in working at your school? Um so the greatest challenge has been, as again, as I kind of mentioned earlier, it ha- it's not completely clear what the purpose of our school is. Even I mean, just amongst anyone, because we are a placement for students who have a long-term suspension for some sort of behavioral infraction. But we are also a place meant to be a smaller setting for students who need a smaller setting, whether that's for academic reasons or for mental health reasons. Um, and so finding, making sure we're balancing the needs of both of those mm-hmm. and making sure we have space for both of those. And um, when a student requests to stay, we look at things like, is this placement actually benefiting them? And if not, do we need to open their spot for someone it will benefit? So sometimes our kids want to stay, but their grades haven't improved, their attendance hasn't improved. We can't really justify keeping them. Mm-hmm. But as a counselor, it's really hard for me to say, no, send them back, because I think, well, what if we had just a little bit longer with them? So just clearly identifying the purpose of our school and balancing the different students that we're trying to serve has, has been a challenge. Mm-hmm. So speaking of that, how from these programs that you put in place and uh, just a few years that you've been there, how um, has your impact data changed? So um, we have had improved, so our part of our school improvement plan was to track attendance data. We have had improved attendance, mm-hmm. um, and each year it has gone up. We have had improved SOL scores. Um, of course, there's other factors that have, have played into that as well, we, but we've had improved um, SOL pass rates over the last three years as well. And we, um, I'm trying to think what other impact data, we have um I don't have data prior to my being there to compare this to, but we have a lot of feedback from students um, that they have learned coping skills and different strategies for managing some of their emotions while they've been at Georgetown, Um, and positive feedback from parents about um, helping their students meet the goals that the parents were hoping they would Mm -hmm. meet. 
well, I'm just going to give a bit of perception data. Um, there was a student at a comprehensive school who everyone knew because he was that personality, came to your school, and everyone knew him. Oh, yes. No matter if he worked there or not, everyone knew who he was. And he was at high risk to not graduate. And through a lot of work on the parts of everyone involved, he graduated. And I was in a store recently, and he was in there working and was so helpful and um, wonderfully uh, responsive to everything. And I'm like, that's, that's results right there because he... Yes. Uh, Got a diploma, and he is a productive citizen and making his own way. So he actually came perception to visit data. us the other day. And See, he just and got you a know promotion. who I'm talking about. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't yeah, even yeah, say yeah. his name. Yes. He got a promotion at the store. Yeah, so, so we're excited. So that. exciting. So that kind of perception data, you know, uh, we see results and numbers, but when you see the kid out there in the community, a productive, viable citizen, that, is, that just says it all right there yeah. for the kid that everyone works so hard to get across that stage. And as we say to them sometimes, why am I working harder? than you are to get this diploma, (laughs) but but then the results are uh, worth it. So uh, most of us work in a comprehensive high school with larger caseloads, but we still have those students who have behavioral and mental health challenges, and we say to you, oh, but your school only has 75 kids and you have that caseload, but every one of your students has one of those issues. So we have those kids on um, caseload in a comprehensive school program if, if you're in elementary or secondary. So what advice would you give to school counselors and um, how they could learn to um, better help students with these challenges? So my best advice, and, and not, you know, I've thought about this for myself as well, is to have fun with the students and with their families. Um, I think that's why the family nights have been so powerful is that we're not only calling with bad news or a concern, but we're having fun together. And I try, you know, the team building gives us great opportunities, the quarterly team building. But I try even on a daily basis, even um, just to walk into the computer lab where the kids are and kind of laugh at some of their silliness rather than redirect them. Now, before I leave, I might say, okay, everybody's got to get back on task. But just to have fun and laugh with them as much as possible, Mm -hmm. because I think that builds rapport and they're much more receptive when there is a serious concern that we need to address or um, families are much more receptive because they don't feel like we're just critiquing them, but Mm -hmm. that we are that we are um, actually enjoying them. So so just to. Think about that for a second, because these kids have been in a setting where they've gotten into issues or trouble, whether it's with behavior or attendance. And those phone calls the parents got from the school were probably mostly negative. Yeah. So that you're reaching out in a positive way, I think that helps with drawing them into the school because they've only had negative experiences with school, probably with these kids since kindergarten on. So that they're getting positive reinforcement from the school, I think is huge. Yes. And the other part is, and I know I've referenced this several times, but I've just, it's kind of become my thing is that I realize lecturing them absolutely never has worked. What? <laughs> so I've really been trying to have organic learning opportunities, and one just came up yesterday. We have a young man, he's very angry, he doesn't want to be at school, he doesn't see how school will benefit him, um, and he doesn't really respond positively very often to many things. But he's interested, there's a particular job he's interested in this summer that I was got some information about and had shared with him. So I checked up with him and I said, Hey, did you did you call them yet or did you go well I said call, but I was wrong. He had to go online and apply. But what he said was, No, I don't know how to talk like that. I, I'm not calling them. And I said, Well do you want me to do it with you? Well yeah. So he came in and then when we looked I was like, Oh, you don't even have to call. It's an online application. So we did that together. Um and then I just talked with him about, you know, if you do call, here's what you could say. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and it was, you know, just, I felt like it was a really positive interaction for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he smiled this morning when he walked in the door. I don't know that it's directly related to that, but let's just say that it is. I'm going to think that it is. <laughs> yeah. So just trying to find those organic learning opportunities with, with particular, with anybody, but with particularly this population, I think is, mm-hmm. has been really powerful as well. All right. Anything else you'd like to share about, um, working with students in the comprehensive schools? You know, laugh with them. One of the things that I find probably most challenging is our our students have tend to have a pretty significant trauma history. Um, so I really have to be careful, and our faculty has to be careful. I mean, we really have to think, I think, more than you typically do about uh, how we introduce a lesson, how we respond to a student, because so many things are um, triggering or uncomfortable um, for the students. And like I said, I think more so than for the average student. So I really try to be very, um, I try to think before I speak and, and try to make sure that I'm, my language is as inclusive and non judgmental as possible. Exactly. And I think that's true for all of us in trying to educate our faculties. Um, to not trigger a child and just because that's the way it's always been done doesn't mean it's always the best way so just using that inclusive language um, doing a little flashlight presentations maybe in a faculty meeting to talk about what that is like mm-hmm. I think those things are so important so um, two questions that I ask every guest um, the first one is what are you reading right now so I'm, I'm reading a workbook and I can't remember the, the title of it but it's about cultural competence so that's my professional reading and then on the side I'm also reading um, and I found this in one of those take a book, get a book. It's The Radical Son. Um, and it's a it's a true story of a man whose last name is Horowitz um, who grew up with communist parents who has now um, become more conservative. So it's mm-hmm. a very interesting, it's a very interesting read. Yeah, definitely. So for your own mindfulness practice, uh, this especially I would say with your job, which is quite intensive. What do you what do you do to keep yourself in a good place so you don't become I'm not going to say burnout, but a little crispy on the job. So what are some things that you do for yourself? Um, time with my family and I, I just try to make it a point that the once I go home, I go home. Mm-hmm. And Did time, everyone hear that? Once you go home, you go home. I, and I'm not 100% <laughs> successful, but I am pretty good at separating mm-hmm. work and, and home. Um, I love reading, and now my favorite season is coming, so sitting on the beach with a book will be the best. Yes. <laughs> so I assume you're having, you have an 11-month contract, so you can take that time off in the summer. Yes, I love month of July. To do that. I look forward to very much. So uh, thank you so much for coming today, Liz Beatley. You know, when I ever say your name, I always say Liz Beatley. I don't ever <laughs> to say Liz. Why is that? I don't know. Thank you, Liz Beatley, for coming today. <laughs> Thank you, Carla, and, um, for having me. I'm um, sharing your expertise, um, and I will say that it is expertise in working with these um, student populations, and I wish you uh, a great remaining um, end of the school year. Thank you. Thank you.